This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Andy Hoover, Director of Communications at the ACLU of PA. Today, we're talking about reforming the Commonwealth's probation system. When a person is serving a sentence of probation, they may not be physically incarcerated, but they are still under significant government control. And that control creates invisible tripwires that can keep the person in an ongoing cycle in which they cannot get out from under the custody of the criminal justice system. We're going to hear from lawmakers and advocates who want to change that. But before we do that, there are several significant pieces of news that I want to share with you. First, in early February, the Pennsylvania Board of Law Examiners released a new rule that ensures that participants in the federal government's DACA program can be licensed as lawyers in the Commonwealth. And it was an ACLU PA case that paved the way for this new rule. In 2016, Partiv Patel was denied his law license after graduating from law school and passing the Pennsylvania bar exam because he is a DACA recipient. With help from the ACLU of PA and support from law schools and bar associations from around the country, Partiv appealed the decision, and in late 2017, he won. A month later, he was also issued his license in New Jersey, and today Partiv is a practicing attorney. While the ACLU of PA believes that the Board of Law Examiners could have gone further and guaranteed that a person could get their law license regardless of immigration status, the new rule guarantees that future documented law school grads won't face the same hurdle that Partiv faced. I talked with Partiv way back in the first episode of this podcast last April, and you can learn more about his case at aclupa.org patel. Here's more news. Last week, after one day of trial in federal court, we and our partners reached an agreement with the Department of Corrections over our lawsuit challenging the department's practice of copying and storing mail between lawyers and their clients in state prisons. The department implemented the process in October, and almost immediately lawyers around the Commonwealth stopped communicating by mail with people who are incarcerated out of fear that confidentiality would be breached. In the settlement, the department agreed to end the copying and storing of legal mail starting April 6th, and that people who are incarcerated would be given the original documents sent to them as legal mail. Shout out to our partner organizations on this lawsuit, Abolitionist Law Center, Amistad Law Project, and Pennsylvania Institutional Law Project. And a big thank you to Keith Whitson of the law firm Schneider, Harrison, Siegel, and Lewis, our volunteer attorney on the case. And finally, my colleagues Vic Volchek, our legal director, and Sarah Rose, our senior staff attorney, were part of the legal team that made this happen. It was a total team effort. You can learn more about this case at aclupa.org slash pilp. That's P-I-L-P. This case was also featured in an episode of Speaking Freely in October. Finally, there is a major development around capital punishment in Pennsylvania. The state Supreme Court will consider arguments that the death penalty is unconstitutional. The ACLU of Pennsylvania and our national office filed a friend of the court brief in that case, arguing that the death penalty is indeed unconstitutional because the Commonwealth's public defense system is so abysmal that people who cannot pay for their own defense receive inadequate representation. Stories in our brief include those of defendants who were represented by lawyers who were drunk, extremely overburdened, 
or otherwise ill-equipped to defend capital cases. One anecdote cites a civil lawyer with no experience on capital cases who didn't even realize that capital punishment was a potential outcome until the trial was well underway. Last summer, a study analyzing capital punishment in Pennsylvania was released, and I talked about that study on Episode 7 of the podcast with Marshall Dion of the Federal Public Defender in Pittsburgh. Be sure to check that out. You can find our statements on these stories and links to more information at aclupa.org news. So let's talk about probation reform. While our prison population is often noted in press and policymaker circles, the number of people under community supervision, either probation or parole, typically flies below the radar. But the number is shocking. On any given day in Pennsylvania, there can be upwards of 300,000 people either on probation or parole. Now, it is important to be clear about the difference between parole and probation. A person serves parole after they've been incarcerated and have been released before their maximum sentence. A term of probation is served in lieu of or sometimes in addition to a prison or jail sentence. Parole and probation are often lumped together in policy discussions because both are forms of supervision in which the person is under government control while living in the community. Pennsylvania has some relatively unique problems with probation. Perhaps most significantly, our state has no caps on how long a probation sentence can be. Most states have a max of five years or less. Only eight states have no limit. As a result, a person can be constantly under the control of the government and never really have a chance to lead a normal life. One trip up can start the sentence all over again. State lawmakers in Harrisburg have taken notice. A probation reform bill from last year has been reintroduced as Senate Bill 14, and it has a bipartisan group of sponsors, including Democratic Senator Anthony Williams from Philadelphia and Republican Senator Camera Bartolotta from Southwest PA. If passed as introduced, Senate Bill 14 would implement several significant reforms including early termination of probation after 18 months if a person has had no violations, a cap of five years of probation sentences for felonies, and three years for misdemeanors, a ban on extending probation because a person did not pay fees, fines, or restitution or is unable to pay, clear limits on when a person can be sent to prison for violations of probation, and retroactivity of these reforms for many people currently on probation. In February, lawmakers and advocates held a press conference at the state capitol to announce the reintroduction of SB 14. Let's hear first from Senator Sharif Street of Philadelphia, who talks about how probation does not fulfill its promise as an alternative to incarceration. Community corrections probation reform has largely been thought of and intended to be a tool for reducing incarceration and furthering de-incarceration. However, in Pennsylvania, because we do not have the appropriate uh, guidelines for how to address technical violations, in many instances, uh, probation and parole have actually contributed to, to, the, to the expansion of mass incarceration. Consider this. A person can be given a sentence of two to five years 
and then served three years, released on probation or parole. And then, because of a technical violation, which would not ordinarily constitute a crime, be sent back to jail for another two years. Go back in, serve another year, come back out, have another technical violation, and then be sent back in for another two years. Come back in, serve six months, come back out, be another technical violation again, two or three more years. At some point, the aggregate amount of time that a person has served incarcerated in Pennsylvania can actually exceed the, max, the maximum of the original sentence. That should not be, that is not the intention, and under no circumstances should community corrections or the probation and parole process actually extend the period of time a person spends behind bars. Also speaking out in favor of SB 14 was Steve Bloom, vice president of the Commonwealth Foundation. If you're not familiar with the Commonwealth Foundation, it is an organization that advocates for low taxes, low public spending, and low regulations. Steve is also a former state representative from Cumberland County. Here, he talks about how technical violations can keep a person who is on probation in that ongoing cycle. Our existing probation system lacks efficiency and contributes to high recidivism rates. In 2015, Nearly 74,000 people were on probation in Pennsylvania, and probation violators made up 17% of our state's prison population, many simply because they got tangled up in administrative red tape. Pennsylvania spends about $200 million a year on incarcerating and reincarcerating people revoked from probation. Inconsistent probation sentencing and duration can increase the chances for a technical violation, which leads to higher recidivism. Most recidivism occurs within the first year of probation. Reducing probation's lengths and allowing for early ending of probation for good behavior would help reduce the chance of technical violations and thereby reduce recidivism and reduce our overall prison population while still protecting public safety. And finally, one of the primary sponsors of SB 14 is Senator Anthony Williams of Philadelphia, who makes the case for his bill. Conservative or liberal issue. This is an issue that relates to all of us who recognize that the judicial system in America, let alone Pennsylvania, needs to be fixed. This particular area seems to be the most illogical of all, and that is those who are on probation, parole, who are unfortunately allowed to linger for technical violations. Consequently, many of them, um, because they are late to visiting a parole officer, because they are, can't get a transpass, uh, can't get out of a doctor's appointment, can't get out of work, are losing work in Pennsylvania. There's a whole slew of issues that we recognize today uh, that are clearly a part of this. Uh, split time being the, between the state prison system and the county parole uh, supervision, uh, is something that is executed in a way that's most ineffective. Judges having wide authority to address parole violations, including the availability to vindicate the authority of the court. That means if you walk into a court today and a judge doesn't agree with what you dressed, said, or conducted yourself, they can find that to be a technical violation because you are now disrespecting the court. So the arbitrary nature in which this is applied should be obvious to anybody, regardless of where you live in Pennsylvania. ACLUPA has prioritized passing Senate Bill 14 this legislative session. 
So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and to sign up for our email list at our website, aclupa.org. We will be sharing news about the bill's movement and actions that you can take in support of the legislation. And frankly, if you're motivated to take action right now, contact your state senator and ask them to support SB 14. You can find your state senator at pasen.gov and more information about probation and parole reform at aclupa.org slash smartjustice. One of the speakers at the press conference at the Capitol was Dr. Kevin Dolphin of Breaking the Chains, a community group in Harrisburg that works directly with young people and with people who are incarcerated and recently released. Dr. Dolphin and I talked about what Breaking the Chains work looks like on a daily basis and what he thinks has to happen to end mass incarceration. Here we go with Dr. Kevin Dolphin. Kevin, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today, talking about your work with Breaking the Chains and criminal justice reform. First of all, what is Breaking the Chains? Breaking the Chains is a prison slash community outreach program that works with both ex-felons and at-risk youth. Um, And your organization's mission statement makes several assertions that I thought were particularly compelling. Um, One is that breaking the chains, as you just said, works on both prevention, you know, helping people, young people in particular, stay out of prison and reentry. So you're working with those who are free after being incarcerated. In your day-to-day work, what does that look like? It sounds like you're working on ending mass incarceration from both ends. Uh, Yes, sir. Well, day-to-day operations look like I get up at 4.30, Monday through Friday, I'll get up at 4.30. Then I do a lot of work in the public schools. I do work in the juvenile facilities, and I also do work in the prisons because we feel like uh, we can meet this problem from, you know, from both ends because if the if the family members or mo- in most cases the fathers are in prison and these young people don't have proper role models in order for them to look up to or turn to for answers that they may be facing in life. So that's what we do. So on any given day, it's like the day I got to go to uh, three different schools uh, after this interview, and then um, I have to do uh, a couple of phone calls to a couple of different prisons to see uh, what we're going to do as far as our program coming to those prisons. So every day we're doing something. If it's not helping uh, a mother with their children or, or taking phone calls or emails from inmates who are incarcerated to doing uh, community um, forums or something where it's, it's, it's seven days a week, it's nonstop. So is it like you're doing educational work, emotional support? Like, can you say a little more detail about like what those programs look like? Yes, we're doing cognitive behavioral therapy, and what then what that is is it helps change individuals' ways of thinking because without changing, without first changing a person's way of thinking, their thought process, then you'll never be able to change their actions. So, uh, breaking the chains believes that education is the key to change. Without educating oneself, then they'll never be able to change. 
I know you've been open about your own experience with the criminal justice system. How does that experience inform the work that you do? Well, having experienced life on both sides of the fence, it gives me a clear view of, of the spectrum. Because, see, one of the things that I've been allotted is a chance to look at the world and as the criminal justice system with an unbiased eye. Before I, I understood and I, I educated myself in certain areas, I, I looked at the criminal justice system as a whole as a bad, but it's not. We do need prisons. We do need reform. We do need these things in order for the world to be safe. But if people are not educated and you don't have the right uh, people in position to help reform individuals while they're in prison, then the taxpayers will continue to foot the bill. Recidivism rate will continue to rise and, you know, we'll have to continue to build prisons. Now, you can close a prison down, but what does that do for the individuals who may go to another prison or may have been let back out to, into society, but they haven't been reformed? So uh, we at Breaking the Chains believe that prevention is better than treatment, but if a person has, you know, gotten past, you know, the part where we cannot prevent them from ending up in a certain situation, then we like to treat them. We like to show them that there is another way. And, and you know, having experienced a lot of things that many of the individuals in prison are going through now, have gone through or will go through, we feel that we are one of, if not the best, um, people to relay these messages to these individuals. So you're working directly with folks in the community and you're seeing um, a lot of the needs that are out there. And as you, as you just discussed, what parts of the criminal justice system do you think are most ripe for reform? What are your priorities? Well, one of the things like I just, I just spoke upon is the treatment side for those who are in prison they need the proper programs in order to help change their mind frame. So because many of the inmates, many of the individuals that we deal with when we go into the prisons, and many of them are lifers. Many of them are doing long sentences. Many of them have lost hope. Many of them are bitter and angry because they can't see anyone helping them on the outside. So what we do is we go in there and we provide this cognitive thinking, uh, behavioral programs so that it can help them look at life from a different side. So as far as doing their time productively, we want them to understand that if you don't position yourself so when one day that door does open for you, you're not going to be in a position where you can take advantage of uh, employment skills or being able to reunify with your family or being able to conduct yourself properly uh, back out here in society. So these are the things that we go into uh, the prisons and uh, we work with the men and women and we give them these tools in order for them to be able to function in a proper manner when they get out. 
So you're working as a private organization and you're talking about the program support that um, these folks need who are incarcerated, um, whether it's substance abuse or, or work skills, um, education. What's the role for policymakers? I mean, how, do, how can policymakers influence the things that you say are needed? Well, you know, one of the things that they can do is, and um, Senator Anthony H. Williams and, and Camera Bartolota, I think that's the, Bartolotta, yeah. Bartolotta yeah. is, 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 they're championing these things. And what we're doing when we see these type of things, we relay them back to the individuals on the inside that there is someone out here that is working for you guys. So when they hear these things from credible sources, then that reinstills hope in them. One of the things that we relate to them is that change is a process. So it may not happen overnight. So, but we want you guys to stay positive, continue to conduct yourself, you know what I'm saying, in a proper manner while you're in there. Because if some things do change and you guys haven't been in here doing what you're supposed to do, then you may not be privileged to take part in whatever comes down the pipe for you guys. So the, the politicians out here, such as uh, Representative Patty Kim and uh, Commissioner George Hartwick, these type of people are in, in, in our community in Harrisburg, they are also helping for reform, whether it's on the um, county level, state level, or wherever. These people are doing what needs to be done to help reunify individuals with their families and, and, and make it a little more easier for them when they return to society. So you talked about Senator Williams and Senator Bartolotta and what they're trying to do. They specifically have legislation that will implement some reforms to probation and how probation works. You spoke at a press conference last month on that issue. I saw that you had an op-ed online recently as well about the issue. From your vantage point, what, and from what you see, you know, when you're working with folks in the community, what are the flaws in the probation system? What, uh, what needs to be fixed? Whoa. <laughs> Could this take a little while to, uh, to describe Whoa. all the problems? And again, I look at things with an unbiased eye because you, you, you do have, quote unquote, good probation officers and you do have, quote unquote, probation officers who, will, who still treat individuals as if they are locked up. But um, can't actually remember the order general's name. Oh, Eugene D. Pasquale. Yes, sir. Was at uh, his press conference a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and he talked about his father being incarcerated and how they kept his father in prison over his time. And many individuals face that same plight. Many individuals are dealing with that. So when they are, you know, dealing with that after being locked up and not provided the proper treatment and, and, and many things that they should be given while they're in there, then they're faced with, oh, well, uh, you can't go home at this time or, or, well, you have to do this or you have to do this when quote unquote, they have already paid their debt to society for the time that they were giving. So now they're being held over uh, time. And I'm actually dealing with a situation now. I've opened what you call the Dorothy Radcliffe Community Restoration Center, which is my mother who died in prison. So I have uh, 
a center their houses but they're as their centers for one is for women and one is for men for when they return back into society uh we provide them a safe place to live and and we also um provide therapeutic work for them each week so they have to take the programs in order for them to stay at the Dorothy Radcliffe Community Restoration Center so I'm dealing with an individual now who wants to come to Harrisburg from Philadelphia and I've talked to her parole officer on quite a number of occasions and her PO is always with the like attitude where she doesn't care. So the young lady is conveying how this is a bad space for her where she's at in Philadelphia and she really wants to get out of there. And I understand, and maybe you do as well, that uh, your conditions, where you're at, and, and, and those, these type of things can um, have uh, effects on your mind and cause you to go back to your old ways. So if you're put in a better place as far as safe housing and things like that, then you have a better chance of not reoffending. So I'm dealing with this PO and I've been dealing with it. It's been a month now and it should only take, they said like 30 days for this young lady's paper to be transferred up to here. I've dealt with one young lady, her parole officer got her paperwork in a week because she really wanted to help her. Right. This PO it seems like she really doesn't want to help. So, and I'm also dealing with um, an, an, um, a situation um, in another prison where this young man has gotten cancer. So his mother's mail is being returned to her. They won't give her any answers. Only thing they're telling her is that he's being treated. So this is, th these are the type of things that uh, can make individuals uh, bitter and look at the judicial system in a bad way. But, you know, we can't only just look at it in that way because there are good things that's going on as well. But when you're faced with a lot of this other stuff, it, 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 make, it, it muddies the water, right? So um, we, we, we need um, more parole officers that care about the well-being of the individuals when they when they return back to society. We need them to get them in the, the, the type of programs that um, that will help them not reoffend, that will help cut down a recidivism rate so that the taxpayers uh, ultimately won't be continue to foot this bill. We need people in the prisons that are setting up things to help individuals get out when they're supposed to get out so that they can get back to your family. Because having been in prison, I understand that being away from your family one day is a day too long. But if I served 10, 15, 5, whatever years, and now I'm supposed to get out, but now someone is holding me over this and, and, my, and my family has been waiting all this time. So now it, it puts even more strain on us. So um, there's no such thing as a perfect system. But we need uh, more individuals in place. And I, I, I definitely I want to thank. And these people are um, they're making strides for reform. Miss uh, Shirley Moore Smell of the DOC and Secretary Wetzel, they are doing some things that um, are changing the demographics. It's a process, but 
they are doing some things. You know, you alluded to the issues with probation and specifically uh, you were talking about the officers and the different mentality from one officer to another. I mean, that sounds almost like a cultural issue within probation. The other thing I've heard people say is that, you know, probation and parole to some extent, in theory, should be an alternative to incarceration, that folks are out um, and they have a chance to be out in the street instead of being in prison. Um, But people also complain that probation turns into a system where they're looking for people to trip up, that there are, there, there are these invisible walls that kind of leave people um, vulnerable when they're on probation, that the probation officers are looking for them to make mistakes. Um, is that accurate? Is that what you see as well when people are on probation? Um, are they constantly being watched in a way that makes it harder for them to avoid going back in? In some instances, again, there's always two sides to a story. You do have those parole officers that do do that. Yeah. But w- again, if if I if I was a parole officer, if I, if I had individuals on my caseload, I would make sure that if I want them to succeed, I would make sure that they get into the type of programs that they need in order for them not to uh, end up in prison. So this probation is an alternative for them not ending up behind bars or, you know, coming home on parole is, um, you know, you're, you have paid your debt. So now, you know, you may have to walk off a certain amount of time, but you need to get in these type of programs that's going to continue to keep you uh, moving forward. But if, you know, in any, in, in this, in this world, you're always going to have uh, roadblocks and ditches. I don't care where, where you go, sure. but, Yes, but if people are educated about these things, not to say about the parole uh, system is against you or not, no, not those things, understanding that you're going to have obstacles, you're going to have things that's going to maybe, uh, there's going to be doors that's not going to be open for you, but how do you get around that or how do you you deal with that and instead of maybe going back to your old way of thinking and doing the things that got you in trouble. So um, we need to work with these. If if we do see these things, like I said, uh, dealing with many of the pro- pro- parole and probation officers that I come in contact with, I have a good relationship with them. But I have run into a few where I, it's the one gentleman I had, uh, one of the, the um, individuals living at my men's facility and I always tell the parole agents that um, I'm working closely with you guys. If you have any problems with this individual, let me know because I'm here to help these guys not to be, you know, uh, a crutch for them or, or, or to be um, an enabler so that they can continue to do the things that they, that they got them in trouble. So the one um, individual, you know, he had uh, strayed off a little bit. So when I uh, ran into his parole agent, I said, well, excuse me, sir. I said, well, you know, why didn't you uh, let me know? I said, you have my number. I said, you know, these are the things that we talked about. He said, you can't help him. I I said, what do you mean? I said, I am his mentor. I said, if you see something that I don't see, I said, I need you to uh, let me know so that these are the areas that I can work with him on. He said, mentors don't work. 
I said, everyone needs a mentor, sir. I said, even I have a mentor. So this guy was maybe like 20-something or something like that. But he couldn't see the need of a mentor. And this is what I told him. I said, you're a parole agent. You're supposed to be a mentor. And he looked at me and, then, you know, uh, I didn't get into, you know, you know, the verbal back and forth. But, you know, I let him know, uh, you know, how I felt about the situation. And then, um, you know, he, he let me know. And then, you know, we went our ways. But the individual did ultimately end up back in prison. Okay. But when you say that sometimes like this particular person strayed, I hear people making distinctions between committing new crimes versus following the terms of probation or parole. Uh, I worked with a family once who their young man had a job where he was, uh, you know, he was at work at the time that he was supposed to be meeting with his PO and the PO was not being flexible. That was here in Dauphin County. And that's, uh, I wonder how much of that the, the, that difference you observe, you know, how much of it is people going back because they've committed a new crime versus they're just not, maybe they, they missed a meeting or they didn't tell, they didn't inform their PO of a residence change. You know, how much of that, those two different things do you see? Yes, you see that in some cases. It's not, I'm not going to say it's, it's, you know, it's broad, but you do see that in some cases, just like, you know, the agent I just spoke about. Some of these agents still, they they treat these individuals as if they are locked up or, or you know, they continue to, to keep a vice on them, which can, if, you know, if a person continues to push you, ultimately, you, you know, you're going to continue to push back and it's going to make you do some things that, uh, that you shouldn't do. So these, I've, I've run across cases now, again, I always look at things from both sides because an individual can come to me and say, well, um, you know, my PO did this or my, so I'm going to have to do some investigating because I'm just not going to, you know, take that. But then as I um, meet with the PO and, and I, I uh, get a better understanding of their disposition, I see a lot of that happening. The PO saying, well, you didn't make this meeting. Well, I was at work. Well, if if I don't pay my costs and fines, if I don't go to work, then how am I you going to lock me back up? So you mean to tell me you can't uh, excuse me uh, for this one day or whatever it is every other week so that I could continue to go to work and we can change this uh, the, the meeting date where we're supposed to meet? No, because I want you to be here this time and this is this. So that puts another strain on the individual, especially if they have to pay child support uh, and they have costs and fines, they have other different things. So they're not being allotted, you know, the chance to really succeed and, and get away from, you know, their past. Yeah, I didn't mean to be leading in the question. It's just that you hear policymakers and advocates talk about this particular problem that uh, people who are on probation uh, feel like they are just the these the government is just waiting for them to trip up because you're working with folks directly. I was curious to see if, if you've if you've seen that. Yeah, and you're working here in Harrisburg. Um, you're based in Harrisburg. <clears throat> I take it most of your community programs are in Harrisburg. Like, what's your what's your geographical reach, both for the community programs and the prisons? Like, where what prisons are you visiting, and and where's your community work? Well, the furthest the furthest prison we we conducted our program in is Somerset, 
Pennsylvania. Um, and then we also do work in Dauphin County prison. We do the entire, you know, as far as our community work and um, public schools. And we've also been down um, South Mountain, which is, oh, I think, up Chambersburg. And I also do, I do different work in different cities and states as well with breaking the chains. But the entire, uh, we get Philadelphia, we, we, you know, we do work in Philadelphia sometimes. So it's, it's, it's a lot, but, um, our demographics, uh, is, it's again, if you, if you look at our logo, one of them, it's the world. So we believe that justice reform needs to take place all around the world. So it sounds like you go wherever the need is. Yes, sir. Um, if people are interested, how can they connect with Breaking the Chains? Where can they get more information? Well, one of the ways is we're on social media. Facebook is, uh, you can really go on Facebook and, uh, under Kevin Dolphin, and, and I have a Breaking the Chains page as well, and see a lot of the, the work that we do with the children going into, you know, to the uh, institutions and things like that. We do a lot of work. You see some on there, but you it's a lot of stuff that you don't see that we do. We do a lot of charity work as well. So you can go on social media and you you can look us up and I you can also go onto my website which is breakingthechains.webs.com and you'll be able to see uh again a lot of the work and stuff that we do you'll be able to uh get a little bit more informed about the programs that that we have and and what we do it's a couple of videos on there so you can see firsthand what we do great well kevin really appreciate your work the work you're doing is extremely important thanks for taking the time to talk with me today thank you sir i appreciate it and i look forward to working with you in the future Thank you to Dr. Kevin Dolphin for taking the time to talk about the valuable work his group is doing to end mass incarceration. You can find Breaking the Chains on Facebook and at breakingthechains.webs.com. That's chains with a Z. That wraps up episode 19. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover, the host, writer, and director of this podcast. Until next time, be free. Be free.